Welcome back as we kick off the 5 o'clock hour with our good friend Zubin Mahente from ESPN. You see him on SportsCenter. He's getting ready to do a lot more NFL work this year, and he joins us here today on a Thursday as we kick off the NFL schedule. Zubin, how are things? Doing great. I mean, obviously this day has been long awaited, but I think it's one of those situations where it's interesting because you look at it and you just say to yourself, I don't think I can remember a Super Bowl champion that has been as maligned as the Eagles have been. If you look at the Vegas odds to repeat, there's a handful of teams ahead of them. Their opponent tonight, who is on the road, is getting a ton more buzz than they are. Now, obviously, the Nick Foles factor has something to do with that tonight. But even though the cliche is teams that win Super Bowl tend to lose a lot of talent for obvious reasons, people get their rings, they're going to go get paid. Um, It is interesting to note that I really, I haven't seen almost anyone, anyone, pick the Eagles to repeat. And I understand repeat champions in the NFL are difficult and few and far between, but in today's NFL, when you have a young core like they do, they didn't stand pat, they upgraded on defense with Bennett, they'll get a healthy Wentz back. I'm just so surprised to see how few people are that bullish on the defending Super Bowl champions. Very odd. And here in game number one, Foles will be out there quarterbacking, Carson Wentz still not cleared for contact, and all the money is poured in on Atlanta. It continues to come in, even as the Eagles will get their rings. I, I wonder how much of that, Zubin, though, because for the longest time with this Thursday kickoff of the NFL schedule, we saw the defending Super Bowl champion get their rings, and then almost to a T, they would go out there and throttle whoever they are playing in opening night. That ended a season ago, though, with what Kansas City did to New England do you think that's creeping into people's minds maybe a little bit when they're when they're looking at this game tonight and who to pick? It's possible. I just think what it mostly is coming down to, and that really was eye-opening last year with what happened with Kansas City because there was a boat race. It wasn't even close. Um, and obviously Kansas City ended up having a pretty good season. Their start was phenomenal. And then obviously you, know, you got to the playoffs in the typical uh, debacle against Tennessee, but at the start, I think people really looked at it and said, oh, maybe there's something here. I think the bigger thing, spent, though, in my opinion, I look at it, and I think the bigger thing really is the notion of how poor of a preseason uh, that Foles had. And again, I wouldn't judge anything based on the preseason, but when you look at the critics that say, well, you know, maybe it just was one magical postseason run. Now, I am not in that camp because I'll give you one game, but you can make an argument his last two games, the NFC Championship game against the Vikings, he was outstanding. And he was outstanding, of course, in the Super Bowl. In fact, you could probably make the argument his worst playoff game was actually against Atlanta in the first game. But I am one that really honestly believes that part of the reason I think so much uh, pressure is being put upon the Eagles is because Fulton had a really bad preseason uh, to the point where Doug Peterson called him out and to the point where Peterson essentially said, guys, you may think I'm banging on Foles here, but I'm really not. I'm getting on the entire team from a motivational aspect. So I think there's so much action coming out on the Falcons, not so much because of what happened last year with Kansas City, but because the signs with the Eagles, rent's not cleared. This is a long-term build. Peterson getting a little bit snippy. How are the new pieces going to work? And for all the Foles detractors out there that have to give credit where credit is due on a magical postseason ride, they could also look at him and say, yeah, but is he the guy that had 27 touchdowns and two interceptions in 2013 with Chip Kelly? Or is he the guy that was with the Rams, and I had to remind myself he was on the Rams? Or is this the guy that was with Kansas City and openly talked about retiring when he was with 
the Chiefs. I just think there's such a large segment of people that love the full story that don't think it's really sustainable heading into this year. Zubin, uh, from the NFL here to the home front, and you spent a number of years in the state of Iowa. You know about the Cyhawk rivalry. A lot of times the Ponkman circumstance is bigger than what we actually get out of the game or even breaking down the game leading into it because many times we've seen Iowa be a big favorite. doesn't mean Iowa State can't win. That has certainly happened in the past, but in terms of breaking it down beforehand, that's not always the case. But before we get into this year's game, just a remembrance for you looking back at your time in the state of Iowa. When you think of this week, what comes to mind? Oh, man, I think my most... Well, I would say the two that really stick out. One was minor, one was major. The minor one was 2002, and I know every Hawkeye fan just cringed as soon as I said that. Uh, but if you remember, of course, 02, where uh, Seneca Wallace just came in and led them on an unbelievable second-half drive to defeat Iowa. Trent, if I'm not mistaken, that was only Iowa's loss of the regular season. Is that correct, right? That was the one that ended with the Orange Bowl against USC. Uh, that was amazing to see because, as I recall, Trent, in that game, correct me if I'm wrong, there was some considerable Heisman Trophy buzz for Seneca Wallace after that game. That was an early mm-hmm. game. Um, but what was so ironic, of course, was that the guy that ended up finishing runner-up for the Heisman Trophy was the other quarterback. And <laughs> I remember Brad had a, had a really key fumble in that game, like a ball slipped out of his hand, mm-hmm. and he really took that particular loss hard. And everybody was like, look out for Seneca Wallace, and it just goes to show you can't really judge everything on a one week, because obviously when all was said and done, while Seneca had himself a great career, a great career for Iowa State, I think Brad Banks is going to go down as one of the most accomplished Iowa quarterbacks ever, which is amazing, because his sample size is so much smaller than that of guys like Chuck Long and Hartley and Sherman and Reiners and Danzy and Tate. I mean, he didn't really get a ton of uh, run out there as a J.C. guy, so that was a minor one. The major one, though, was the first one I covered, 2001. If I'm not mistaken, Trent, just remind me of this because I want to make sure I get this right. The game was scheduled to be played on September 11th, the weekend of yep. September 11th. Yep. And the game was canceled, uh, postponed, postponed. And they made it up in November. And I've never experienced an Iowa-Iowa State game before. And I wish I could remember the guy's name. I really wish I could remember his name. Perhaps you can help me out. He was a great player for them. For Iowa State, he was a tight end. And at that particular juncture... Iowa State had won three straight games against Iowa. There was a ton of emotion because the country was still reeling. It was okay to play football again, but there just it just it just was a feeling amongst so many people about its priority and its place at the time. And Iowa State won the game in dramatic fashion. It was their fourth straight win over Iowa. Um, started, I believe, you know, probably towards the end of Hayden's tenure. And I remember, I, we still used to play it every year when I was there, and it's been many, many years since I've worked there, but um, he looked right into our camera, and he was so emotional, and he just put up four fingers, four in a row. And, I, you know, I, you gotta, you gotta, what I'm saying, you've got to amplify this times ten. You know, four in a row, four in a row. Don't tell me this isn't the Cyclone State. Don't tell me. This isn't a Cyclone State. It was unbelievable. It was so powerful. We used to play it every single year on the Friday before the game. Now, we were closely tied in with Iowa State. WOI was formerly owned by Iowa State University. It used to be in Ames. And, uh, John Walter is my old boss, now the voice of the Cyclone. So that was something our viewers loved seeing every single Friday night before the game. 
I wish I could remember his name. I can picture his face. And by a quick scan of the roster, I bet you I could come up with it. By this time next week, I'll have that name for you because I really want to pay that off. But that was my most indelible moment because of what was going on in the country. I was totally new to the rivalry. I didn't really know what it meant. But I think emotion at that particular point was as raw and as palpable as anything I covered while living there. Was it tight end, you said, right? I want to say it was a tight end, yeah. Because remember, it was like my first season on the job, so I was just learning about a bunch of guys. But I'll try to figure it out unless you've got it in front of you right there. Was it Mike Banks? It was Mike Banks. Okay. Wow, great pull. Excellent pull. Thank you. Mike Banks, um, a, a, an yeah. NFL draft pick, by the way. Oh, wow. Yes. Okay, he was terrific. He was lightly used, as I recall, yep. and then just started to grow into a much better player. But, yes, that was his name. He stared right into that camera, left hand up, four fingers, everything except for the thumb, screaming into our camera, don't tell me this isn't a cyclo state. It was my first experience with the rivalry, and that was a pretty good way uh, to get it going amidst the backdrop of what was just obviously one of the worst periods any of us could ever uh, live through. But that was probably my most indelible moment of the series. Zubin, uh, let's say you're working Saturday, and you're, you're in the green room, a bunch of guys are watching football, and things are going on, people are back and forth, and you say, you say hey, all right, I want to really dive into this Iowa-Iowa State game because of my connections back to the state. What's the national perception? What, what are the guys at ESPN, what do they think when, when you bring up the old Hawkeye State and the rivalry in the Cyhawk game? It's tough because right now, I think on a national level, I follow it pretty closely because as I just mentioned, I, I work there, I live there, I understand the passion of the state uh, for this game. But I think from a national perspective, for this game to get the sort of attention, in, in my opinion, it deserves, one of these teams is going to have to be not even top 25, one of them has to be, like, in the top 15, right? Mm-hmm. Because once you're in the top 15, trying to pushing it, because I understand how difficult it can be to get into the top 10. But I'm going to say 15, because once you're 15, it doesn't even matter who you play. Somebody is going to be keeping an eye on you, because a loss could knock you out of the pole, a big win could zoom you up in the pole, sort of like LSU and Miami, where if you're, you know, you're Miami, you're, you know, done right in the country, so no matter who you play, first week, eyes are on you. If you're Penn State, yeah, you're playing Appalachian State. Who's really paying attention? Well, until you almost lose the game in overtime. So if you have a high enough of a number next to your name, people are always going to pay attention to you. And it's the reverse is true. From LSU, zooming up from 25. But if neither of those teams, and obviously what I'm, I'm saying, what I'm saying here is that Iowa needs to be in the top 15 because it's going to be tough considering the circumstances all the way around for Iowa State to crack in consistently to the top 15. But if neither of those teams is in the top 15, it's just tough. Uh, you also have to stack it up with what else is going on this weekend. I mean, you know, Michigan State, Arizona State is not an amazing game, but it's garnering an amazing amount of attention. Penn State, Pitt, that's a rival that most people don't think is a great rival, but most people still think it's a better rivalry than Iowa-Iowa State, even though most people don't even consider Pitt, Penn State and Pitt a rivalry. you got Stanford and USC. you got Clemson and Texas A&M, Georgia, South Carolina, and so I think it's, it's dual. One team has to be in the top 15, so we'll just pay attention regardless of who they play because you want to be able to evaluate them on a week-to-week basis we keep them in the top 15. And then you have to compare it to the other relative games that are happening this weekend. And there's not a great slate of games, but the games that just reeled off are likely to get far more attention than Iowa or Iowa State. I think it's a, it's a well-kept secret. You guys should just accentuate it for what it is. Blow it up. It's your Super Bowl. Love it. 
Don't worry about what anybody else says about it. Um, much like the Penn State Pitt rivalry outside of the Keystone State, nobody cares about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the people within the Keystone State do care. So I think from a national perspective, one of them just has to be in the atmosphere, has to be able to be discussed every week to see actually validating their ranking. And it's been rare where both teams or even one of those teams has really been in that particular spot. But I, I think that's just from a national perspective. But does it really matter, Trent? Because even if it was resonating from a national perspective, it would get a couple minutes on ESPN, to get a couple minutes on Fox, and you'd move on. And the reality is the game deserves so much more than a couple minutes. And it's probably best done at the local level where you guys can give it hours and hours of attention versus the small smidge of time that we'll be able to give. So I think for the fans in the state, it works out better because you guys treat it for what it is. And in our case, we have to take it case by case. So that's my biggest thing. One of them probably has to be nationally ranked to the point where we need to constantly pay attention to them. And it's been a while since either team has been in that situation, in my opinion. Zubin, want to finish up here full circle with you. And you're going to be doing more work on the NFL, as I mentioned, at the top. These first couple weeks of the season, as we get ready for the game tonight, week one, our first full Sunday coming up and culminating with Sunday Night Football and the Bears and the Packers and how great that is for us here, there's the extracurriculars that are happening. Is Is there a conversation how to handle this? going too far in because it'll be our first look at the National Anthem and how teams go through that. You have Colin Kaepernick and Nike, and Nike the, the outfitter. Is, is that a balancing act that you guys continue to work with? How much is too much yet? It's newsworthy. We still have to do it. And NFL is our media partner. I mean, it's got to be difficult for everybody at ESPN, I'd figure. I think that's fair. I think the biggest thing is, is that the anthem is, is something that ESPN and CBS have not televised for a long time. So that's a story that obviously is gaining a lot of attention. But if you look at it on its merits, um, most networks do not televise the national anthem. Now, if it's the Super Bowl, if it's the All-Star Game, if it's an NBA All-Star Game, if it's a gigantic game, they will show the national anthem. Now, if it's newsworthy, because last year uh, all the actions that were taken – they're going to show the national anthem to see who's out there, who's not out there, who's standing, who's kneeling, who's got one arm over the other guy's shoulder, who's standing in tandem, who's standing separately. Is it Alejandro Villanueva running out of the Steelers locker room? He's the only one standing there. So from a newsworthy perspective, I would say that we will show the national anthem and other networks will show it when it becomes a news story. Last year there was one week where all the pregame shows spiked, all national pregame shows spiked, and that was the week after the crescendo, over the kneeling, and people wanted to see what people were going to do all around the country. So if it's newsworthy, then people are absolutely going to watch it. But I would say that to say that we're not televising the national anthem or other people aren't, that that's some sort of story, I would push back at that notion for those that say that, because traditionally those networks have not shown the national anthem. As for the Kaepernick situation, at this particular juncture, Right now, it's rare. It's an in-between game situation with him not on a roster and the ad slated to run tonight during the game. That's going to be something that should be discussed outside of the context of the broadcast. Um, So that's interesting. It's an actual NFL issue affecting things on the field, players' opinions and emotions. But what you see will be happening outside of the confines of the broadcast, not outside of the confines of the time period, I mean, from 8 o'clock on or 7 o'clock on or wherever it happens to start, no matter where you live, 
that's part of it. But so much of Colin's story right now is happening in the game window, but outside of the game broadcast, if that makes sense. So there has to be a little bit of delineation there. And then I think like any story, we just have to follow it and see how it develops. At this time last week, I don't think anybody had an inclination that Nike was about to come upon a 30th anniversary of Just Do It. It's one of the most iconic slogans in all of marketing. But even just one week ago today, I don't think anybody was talking about what's Nike going to do to honor the 30th anniversary of their iconic slogan. A week later, we find out and we adjust. So I think a lot of it is just honestly waiting to see what happens and then reacting. Because I think as we found out in sports over the course of time for all the years you and I have been covering it, you never quite know what to expect. You want to be ready for some contingencies? You know the national anthem will be played. How do we want to cover it? will be out there? Who won't? What are the new rules? Who's in the locker room? What's the reaction on social media? You can kind of plan through that. You know exactly how long the Star Spangled Banner will take, the person who's practicing it, when they're going to get out there, how long it's going to take, when can we show this? We know all that, but there's certain things that we don't know. And for those things, I think the best thing to do is to sound strange, but to just react to them in the moment. Because what's happening is so many people are just reacting to what they see in the moment. And I think in some ways that's a pretty raw, organic, cathartic, honest way to do things. And I think we as the media should probably respond in kind. If the public is generating raw, honest, emotional reactions to what they see, then we should probably be reacting the same way instead of doing something in a premeditated fashion, which would look, I think, disingenuous. So I think as hard as it is to do, because everybody's got an opinion, and you've only got one shot to get it right. You've done a lot of play-by-play, right? Mm-hmm. Your ball's in the air. You're trying to wondering who caught it in that scrum or who recovered that fumble. you got one chance to get that right before you have to say, oh, I bet your partner was actually this guy. You know, when you have one shot to get it right, it makes all the sense in the world to plan, plan, plan. But in a lot of cases, it makes a lot of sense to just say what you're feeling and then know not everybody is going to agree with you Uh, because obviously we live in a pretty polarized place. So I think the biggest thing to do is just let each event happen and not be surprised by it, and then just react the way that you feel comfortable reacting and know that if people aren't happy with what you're doing, at least you can live with it because what you're saying is true and honest and not disingenuous or premeditated or not done to protect somebody or make sure we've got all of our T's crossed and our I's dotted. Um, It sounds strange because you've got millions and millions of people hanging on your word if you're Al Michaels tonight or if you're Jim Nance this weekend, but the reality is I think you, me, them, everybody would feel more comfortable knowing you said something from the heart, knowing you said something you believe in, even if it's going to cause some blowback, because blowback in 2018, (laughs) that's going to be a prerequisite. You're going to have to learn how to deal with that if you want to be in the media or anything else. So it'll be a fascinating social experiment to watch. It's truly unprecedented time, because when you and I were a kid, Trent, Mm-hmm. You know, as much as we could scream at the TV or scream at Pat Summerall or scream at Dick Stockton <laughs> or Don Crickey, there's nothing we could do to react. There's nothing we could do to reach out and touch them. And now you're just a DM away. You're just a tweet away. You're just a text away. Um, it's fascinating times that we're living in, and we'll just continue to see this thing develop. Looking forward to it. Should be a lot of fun, no doubt. Football upon us once again. Zubin, we'll talk again next week. Thank you so much. Thank you. Zubin Mahente, ESPN. You see him on SportsCenter and joining us here today, as always, a big thank you to him. We get the break. We're coming back on the other side. More on the Cyhawk game. We'll get the perspective from our Big Ten insider, Ken Silverstein, up next here on Jimmy B and TC.
All right, back with more with you here. Jimmy B and TC minus Jimmy B. Trent Cotton running solo this afternoon. Got somebody fun to talk football with right now, though, and that is our man Ken Silverstein. He's our Big Ten Conference insider, and he joins us here today. Kenny, what's the good word? Tell you what, how about Hawkeyes and Cyclones? One of the better games on the schedule. Yeah, obviously everyone within the boundaries, alum or non-alum, obviously. You don't have to be an alum to be into it, obviously. Um, Is it the biggest game on the schedule? Everybody's playing. Uh, Well, obviously in state it's the biggest game. Uh, There's no doubt about that. But there there are a couple others. Uh, Penn State Pitt is a good rivalry game also. I don't want to forget uh, the Nittany Lions and the Panthers. But uh, I'll let you start. And uh, uh, we're still obviously week two. We're still in quote, quote, for the majority or for most non-conference play. we got Rutgers, Ohio State in conference play. I don't know about you, Trent, and maybe this is just me being who I am, but I like it where, you know, you played the first three games non-conference and then you went into conference play and everybody went into conference play on the same Saturday. This staggered, I guess would be the right word, where you had Purdue playing Northwestern. Okay, it was a good game Thursday night, I guess, last week. And now we got Rutgers at Columbus to take on Ohio State. And then next week, whatever the schedule may be, I'll be happy when we are we're consistent. We're playing conference play, and everybody is pretty much playing everybody. But still got another week or two to get into uh, that quote part, that part of the uh, schedule, let's say. Yeah, and you know, it's funny you bring that up because somebody was complaining about that at our, our tailgate the other day. And I was going to be playing. I think it's Ruck. No, it's Indiana to begin the season a couple years down the road as we saw that. Well, we've seen in the past they have had conference games early in the year. The, the Big Ten played around with that. I want to say maybe in the early 80s, something like that. But mm-hmm. I'm with you. I, I like being able to ease your way in, then get into yep. it. But the reality is, Ken, as you look across the landscape, and Purdue was highlighted a week ago when we talked last time. You see the football complex that Purdue is putting in and the amount of money invested. And we see it across the land. It doesn't matter where you go at the top-level programs, anybody in a big-boy conference, they're spending at a high level. They're doing that because of TV money and TV dictates. You know what? We want some better games early in the year. We want some conference games early in the year. You just twist your arm and say, uncle, and, uh, and hold out your other hand to get that paycheck. Yeah, and the commission's always uh, got both hands out when it comes to, uh, you know, Fox. And, uh, you know, look, we could do hours upon hours about the decisions or lack thereof that Jim Delaney has done as, quote, the man in charge, and obviously he is. I just, I don't know, I just, um, I'm old-fashioned, I guess. I just like, I don't know if I would call it, you use the term easing in. Um, I don't mind that phrase as long as you play one really good non-conference game Give Michigan credit for taking on Notre Dame last week. I like that. Ohio State's got TCU next week in Jerry World. I like that. Uh, there are other examples of it around the country and likewise in the Big Ten. Um, you know, I like a rivalry game like, uh, obviously, Hawkeyes and Cyclones. I get that. Uh, that's important. But there's some schools who, when you look at the non-conference schedule and you basically see three cupcakes and you go, you know, could you at least play somebody of the three that's pretty good? I'm not, I'm not saying you got to play Notre Dame, okay, a la uh, Michigan. And I, look, I like ripping on Harbaugh, and there are many reasons why you should. But you got to give Michigan credit, okay? At least they, not only did they play them, they played them on the road. 
okay? So, I can't believe I'm saying this. Hats off to Michigan for at least scheduling that type of game on the road. Witness Ohio State playing TCU. Yes, it's, quote, a neutral site game, but it's 15 minutes from campus in Fort Worth, okay? It's a home game, okay? So, I don't like, and I think you're with me, the conference games being played either in week one or week two. I like them being played in week four where everybody would start at the same time, but you're right on. It's a money grab, and it's TV-oriented, and, you know, Purdue-Indiana, Purdue-Indiana, Purdue-Northwestern was a pretty good game, okay? Not bad. It was entertaining. It ended up being, uh, you know, I don't know if I'd call it a cliffhanger particularly, but, you know, it kept you... It kept you interested to pretty much the very end. And from a television standpoint, that's about as much as they want. I mean, they want, they don't want a blowout so people are going elsewhere. They'd like, you know, particularly if it's a conference game or even non-conference. Could, could the two teams be competitive enough that they hang around to, let's say, within five minutes of the fourth quarter so the audience isn't escaping and going elsewhere? Ken Silverstein joining us as we take a look around the Big Ten. Well, let's get your perspective on this. And uh, by the way, I did find I'm not going crazy. Yes, the Big Ten opened up their schedule in 1980 with mm. conference games. Illinois, Michigan State, Iowa, Indiana, Michigan, Northwestern, and Wisconsin, Purdue. To open yeah. it up the week later, it was Ohio State and Minnesota uh, playing in that matchup. So it has happened. It's a long time ago. It was the year I was born. I was uh, six months old when this was going on, but yes, it did happen. I'm not crazy. Oh, right. yeah, and, and I faintly remember it, and it's roughly 38 years. Well, faintly, and you know, that's with a small F. <laughs> okay, I faintly remember it. Um, I, again, I, I get it. You're right. It's TV. I get it. I totally do. But just because it is what it is doesn't mean that everybody's got to like it. So, whatever. We, you know, we got a pretty good schedule this week. I can make an argument that it's better than week one. Uh, I'm more interested as we get deeper in the season, we get into head-to-head uh, conference play. Obviously, we've got Iowa, Iowa State. We've got Pitt uh, taking on uh, Penn State. I think Northwestern Duke is an interesting game. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else jumps? I think IU and uh, Virginia is not too, not too shabby. And there are a couple. Um, Maryland coming off a great win against Texas. Hello, Tom Herman. Uh, taking on Bowling Green. What's interesting about that? is that it's not a college park. Maryland is actually going on the road to play a Mac school, in this case Bowling Green, the Falcons in Bowling Green, Ohio, which I find interesting. Nebraska is finally going to play a game thanks to uh, thunderstorms and lightning and everything else going on in Lincoln uh, last week. Um, I think they're going to have an interesting game with Colorado. So there are some enticing games. Uh, Ohio State Rutgers, eh, not so enticing uh, Wisconsin, New Mexico, oh my goodness, is going to be ugly. Uh, Michigan, Western Michigan ain't going to be a lot of fun. Uh, so there are some good games, maybe three or four of them. Then there's maybe a couple in the middle tier. And then there are a couple bow wows uh, at the bottom in week two. But, you know, it is what it is, and uh, we'll deal with it. But uh, um, I know you want to get into uh, Iowa, Iowa State, mm-hmm. so let's uh, jump into it because obviously – it's a huge game within the boundaries. Well, and, and yeah, as you look at this game, the, the difficult thing all week long that we've been talking about is we got to see Iowa, slow start, mm-hmm. turn it on in the second half, but yep. we don't have that measure for Iowa State. They, no. they had 13 plays, less than five minutes of actual game time. 
you can't read too much. I mean, we hate to overreact to what you see in week one, but that's 60 minutes of football. We're talking about four minutes and change of football yeah. here with yeah. Iowa State. Where do you think the advantage is? Is it Iowa shaking off the rust and all that, or Iowa State not having to put anything on film for Iowa to see? Well, you can make an argument on both sides, but to answer your question, I think you usually improve from week one to week two. It's an old coach's cliche, but I think there's validity to it. So I think there's a slight advantage uh, for Iowa. Um, I, I just I just think that when you get to play, you blow the dust off, um, you get some questions answered, maybe not all 26 letters in the alphabet, but at least get some. Uh, if you just look at the quarterback play statistically, what Nate did obviously in week one against NIU, uh, Northern Illinois obviously, I mean, he's going to do better, obviously. He's going to throw for more than, what, 100 and some yards, 108, whatever it was, in, in week one. So, yeah, I do think it's not a huge, huge difference, but I do think it favors Iowa. Uh, if, if ISU had been able to play and will assume win in that game, uh, then I think things obviously are a lot more even because there's 60 minutes of tape across the board. But, um, yeah, I do think a slight advantage for uh, uh, for Kirk and the boys at this point because they at least get 60 minutes. They had a really good second half offensively, and I really do believe, I think coaches are right, you do improve a lot, maybe some teams more than others, but I think most teams do improve from week one to week two. Ken Silverstein joining us here as we take a look around the Big Ten. Ken, to the breakdown of the game, and last year this was an all-timer, 44-41, yeah. overtime, mm. Iowa makes the play a touchdown to win it, but Iowa State is so much different than what they were at that time. They play completely different defensively, they can show a lot of different fronts. How, how, how much do you read into what happened a year ago? And as college football, sometimes you don't want to get married down with you know history. It's a new team seemingly every year. Yeah, it really is. I mean, you lose so many kids, and now you add in it. You got grad transfers, and you got normal transfers out, and you got academic issues at all schools usually, and you got a couple knuckleheads that end up getting suspended now and then. So, I mean, it literally is a, I wouldn't say it's a complete turnover of roster, but you, you see what I'm saying. And obviously, we're agreeing that it, it, it really is. It's almost like the NFL with free agency. I mean, you look at some of these rosters from opening day. In 17, opening day in 18, you go, oh, my goodness, this thing is like 50, 55% turnover rate. So, you know, I don't know what it is from one team to another in college football, but we're both on the same page. There is a pretty good amount of, uh, of turnover. I think the real big difference is how far Iowa State's come in the last, what, year and a half, two years plus, whatever, whatever you use as a cutoff point. I mean, we're talking X amount of years ago. This was one of the worst programs in the country. Okay, that's not the case anymore. Okay, and they, whether it's non-conference or whether it's in within the boundaries of the Big Twelve, you have to be ready to play them. You have to take them seriously. Where X amount of years ago, you looked at it on the schedule and you go, "Okay, that's a W." That was like playing Vanderbilt. If you're SEC power, or years gone by, that was like playing. Um, Northwestern, or now today, maybe Illinois. You look at Illinois and you go, we can't lose Illinois. They're awful, okay? And so Iowa State's come a long way in whatever time frame you want to use as a, a jumping-off point. Um, I, I, I don't know what the spread is. Obviously, i got, I got to believe you have a pretty good 
idea what it is. I got to believe it's pretty close. Yep. Um, what is? Do you know the number off the top of your head? It's four is where it sits right now. I I would wow. favor by four. I mean, you talk mm. neutral field. This is uh, certainly a pick'em game right in that area, and uh, the total forty-seven in the game. Yeah, that does me. Um, I didn't think it would be super super high. I mean, Kirk's going to do his thing. I mean, they're not going to play you know run and gun football. That's not what Iowa does. Uh, so normally the score is going to be a little bit lower. Uh, they're not going to usually, even though last year was a shootout. I do remember one thing that sticks in my mind of last year's game, okay, were the missed tackles by Iowa State. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. How many, There was one or two plays where there were bodies all over the place wearing the colors of Iowa State. I'm, and I'm watching the game, and I'm saying to myself, could somebody wrap somebody up, please? Could we use a little technique here? <laughs> okay. Uh, and I'm not, you know, I don't have a – it doesn't make a difference to me. I don't. What's uh, I don't have a dog in the game or whatever that cliche is. Look at it. It doesn't make a difference. To me. I just want to see really good football, okay? And when I see missed tackles here, there, and everywhere, I'm going, ah, come on, guys, could just someone bring somebody down to the ground here? Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I think Iowa wins um, at four, three. It, it's going to be less than a touchdown. I, I mean, I think it's going to be a really competitive game. Um, I think there's going to be some big-time hits. These are obviously two major rivals. Um, I love rivalry games. Um, I sometimes wish they were a little later in the year, okay, but, you know, because it's non-conference and the way these schedules are made up today, uh, that's the way it is. And, uh, you know, if you're going to do it, in, if you're not going to do it in week one, you might as well do it in week two, and that's what we have with uh, uh, the game coming up on, uh, on Saturday. Now, what's interesting, I know you'll get a kick out of this, is this is a rivalry game, okay? No one will dispute that when you've got two schools within the boundaries of the same state, that's a rivalry game. Okay, mm-hmm. now let's go east a little bit. Let's go to Penn State Pitt. Hmm, this is interesting. Are they both in the same state? Yes. Both schools are in Pennsylvania, as the Iowa State and Iowa are both in the state of Iowa. Pat Narduzzi, formerly of uh, Wisconsin, okay, and did a great job there as an assistant coach for a lot of years, has been the head coach at Pitt now for, I don't know, this is like his third, fourth year, give or take. He views Penn State as a rival. Coach Franklin looks at Pitt and says, nah, nah, they ain't a rival, which I find interesting, one, because one coach deems it to be a rivalry. The other is very upfront about it and says, no, this is not a rivalry. You know, it's, it's important, but it ain't a rivalry. Well, I'd like to say to Coach Franklin is, okay, then if Pitt's not your rival, who in the hoot is your rival? Okay? It's not Michigan State. It ain't Michigan. It isn't Ohio State. Okay? Who the hoot is your rival? Now, some might say, well, wait a second, Ken. Uh, Penn State and Ohio State have had some great games the last few years. That's a rivalry. No. Ohio State only has one rival, and we all know who that is. Okay? Michigan really only has one rival. Michigan State tries to think that Michigan's a rival, but you know what I'm getting at. Sure. Okay, it's called the game for a reason. Okay, so here's Penn State and James Franklin. Okay, top fifteen program, probably top five, top ten. Uh, even though they didn't play well against App State, Appalachian State, and he's looking down at Pitt and going, "There's no rivalry here." Pat Narduzzi is just like, "I love this thing. I think this is a rivalry." So I just find, I just find that interesting, where you can have two schools in the same state proclaim, oh, baby, this is a robbery. This has been a robbery for X amount of years between Iowa State and Iowa, Iowa, and Iowa State. Okay, 
same state, a different state, same two schools within the same boundaries of that state, the Keystone State of Pennsylvania, and one views it as a rivalry, and the other goes, "You got to be kidding me! We <laughs> we think they're a bunch of dregs." I just I just find that I don't know. Maybe Trent, you you don't find it interesting. I just find not only do I find it interesting, I find it interesting that Coach Franklin would admit to it publicly. Okay, which he has. He is he's flat out said. We at Penn State do not view Pitt and the Panthers as a rival. Okay, I, I, free country, you can say what, what you like, but I, I just find that really interesting where, and that's, that's the exception. I mean, usually most people will agree what a rivalry is uh, between two schools. Here you have School A, Penn State saying, come on, you've got to be kidding me, it's not a rivalry. And School B, the Pitt Panthers, Looking at it and going, oh yeah, this this is our like this is our biggest game of the year. We're we're going to have it at Heinz Field, home of the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, we're going to have a big crowd. We think this is really important. And and Penn State's going, yeah, but you know what? We, we got we got bigger fish to fry. We don't we don't view Pitt as a rival. So we'll see. They beat him a couple years ago. We'll see what happens uh, on Saturday in uh, in Pittsburgh as uh, uh, Pitt takes on Penn State. Obviously, one is ranked and the other is not ranked. Ken, uh, I think a great slate of games of the Big Ten. A lot of intrigue in pretty much every matchup that you go into. You can you mentioned Maryland going on the road. Duke Northwestern should be good. It's a Big Ten conference game with Rutgers, Ohio State, Nebraska, Colorado. I think it's going to be a great game. What we talked about here, Illinois tries to make it two in a row against the wow. Leathernecks, the in-state yeah. brethren from the FCS. Right. Virginia, Indiana, good. Fresno, Minnesota, good. Penn State, Pitt, good. And of all those, this is a game outside of our game in our state that I'm looking most forward to late at night. Going to have to have maybe a Red Bull and vodka to keep me up for this one. <laughs> Michigan the Red state. Bull and the vodka. What a combo. <laughs> well, yeah, wow. of course. It's a Saturday, Ken. You know, I got, I got, got it. Got to mix it a little. Please don't drive. There. Make sure you stay on the couch. Whatever yes. you do, stay on the couch. Michigan State goes out to Arizona State. Ken, you've worked in Big Ten country for a long time, as have I. Mm. You know the narrative. Big Ten teams go west. It usually doesn't turn out very good. Well, I think they got better talent, Michigan State. Okay, yep. and uh, I always talk about L.J. Scott. You know, let's run the ball, Michigan State. Let's play some play action. Um, let's not get in a shootout like last week. And uh, they were, I tell you what, you can make an argument. Who was more fortunate, Penn State or Michigan State? Mm. Think about that one for a moment. Yeah. I mean, you can make an argument on both sides of that coin. Uh, obviously, they both won, and they were both at home. And I think that's one of the reasons why they won, uh, but both did not play well. Concentrating on Michigan State, um, I I don't know what you know what Herm Edwards is doing. I mean, I, I you know I saw a little bit of, of their opener, um, but I didn't stay up to watch the whole thing. I'm not going to tell you I did when I didn't, um, but I got a glimpse of what they did. What they did. Um, I know what you're saying. It's going to be very warm. Um, they're going to have to play a bunch of people. Um, I think Michigan State's got enough depth to hang in there. Um, it's not the Rose Bowl of many moons ago where a Big Ten team would play USC or UCLA or whomever, you know, in the Rose Bowl, and they'd end up losing, you know, for whatever reason or reasons. Um, I think Michigan State goes 2-0. and It may not be pretty because – I'm not sure Michigan State ever plays a pretty game. They do in basketball because he's got great <laughs> talent every year. But in football, you know, 
He's got some overachievers. He's got a bunch of guys that play really hard. They don't they don't play the most stylistic football you're ever going to see. They're not going to go four and five wide outs. They're not you know going to be throwing it forty times a game. That's not D'Antonio type of football. But it'll be close. I think it'll be a touchdown type of game. But um, I think uh, Sparty will get out of there with a another win. And the other thing about them, they usually are slow starters and get better as the season goes along. So I'm going to, I'm a fan of his. I think he, I think he's a really good coach. So I, I would be surprised that they lose. It may not be pretty, but I think uh, what's most important is the W and not style points. And uh, I think uh, Michigan state gets out of there. What are the uh, 15th ranked at this point? And depending on what other people do, they may edge up a couple numbers uh, when we talk, uh, uh, next week, so uh, they're they're about where they need to be. Not top five, not top ten. Just kind of hanging there. They're in the top fifteen at fifteen, and mm-hmm. you know they're going to get better. And by October into in November, that's when Michigan State usually is very difficult to play. Can enjoy the slate of games this week. We will talk again next Thursday. Hey, everybody, enjoy the rivalry game. I know it's going to be uh, a lot of fun uh, with Hawkeyes and Cyclones. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Ken. My pleasure. Ken Silverstein joining us, our Big Ten Conference Insider. Quick timeout. Coming back on the other side, putting a cap on things at a pick for tonight. Next on Jimmy B and TC. Trent kind of back with you one final time as we wrap things up on 1700 KBGG. It's Jimmy B and TC. Thanks for making us part of your drive home here on a Thursday as we get ready for the Hawk game on Saturday. A lot of conversation on that. We'll have a lot more to come on tomorrow's program. Chris Andrews is going to join us from the South Point. What's the latest on the point spread there? Where the Sharps are coming in on Iowa, Iowa State. We'll get into that. NFL Week 1 and a whole lot with Chris Andrews. Lee Sterling will be by from Paramount Sports. He'll be making his picks. We will get his perspective on things. And a whole lot more coming up on tomorrow's program. Before we get out of here, though, tonight, light slate of baseball College football takes a backseat because the NFL gets going. And if you had asked me a day ago, I had a pick for you. That pick was Atlanta. I told you earlier in the program today, I like Atlanta to win the NFC South. I'm not very high on the Philadelphia Eagles. Yet, everybody, it seems, is picking Atlanta to win this game. Nick Foles struggled in the preseason. It was bad. Atlanta Adds more weapons to their offense to go with Julio Jones. Now Calvin Ridley, another Alabama wide receiver, joins the ranks for ATL. I'm fading the public. I'm taking Philly tonight. Call me dumb. I've been called worse. Give me the Eagles to get it done. We're done here. We are out of here. Back tomorrow starting at noon, myself and Ken Miller over your lunch hour and then Jimmy B and TC on your drive home before high school football tomorrow night. It'll be Urbandale hosting undefeated 2-0 Des Moines-Lincoln, our Central Iowa Game of the Week. Thanks, everybody out there for listening in. Thanks to all our great guests from today. If you miss any portion of the program, you can always go out, find it on the podcast page at 1700kbgg.com or in your favorite listening device. Search Jimmy B and TC. It'll pop up there. Search Ken Miller Show with Trent Condon. That will pop up there. And listen to us on demand with our podcast. Thanks again to everybody out there. We'll talk to you tomorrow, Thursday Night Football, coming your way at 6.30 with the pregame show with Atlanta and Philadelphia. Good night, everybody.